telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to EGA Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. My name is Bobby Johar, and I'll be the host today. I'm the Global Managing Director at Blue Digital Group. The theme we're going to talk about is emerging markets, unwheeling the past, embracing the present, and shaping a promising future for the localization landscape. I'm here with some profound participants uh, that knows everything from what emerging markets entail, uh, and also from the media and tech uh, perspective, you know what challenges and opportunities lies ahead. And we have some wonderful uh, participants um, from the industry analytics segment that can shed some light and provide some insights into what fares well and less well, perhaps. Um, dear guest, uh, maybe starting with Jacques uh, Barreau, will you care to introduce yourself? Hello. Yes, thank you, Bobby. I'm Jacques Barreau. I'm the vice president uh, media and interactive entertainment at Transperfect. Uh, I uh, launched the Dubbing Academy and I'm uh, active in the development of our uh, remote uh, platform Studio Next. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Caroline. Hi, thanks, Bobby. Great to be here. So I am Caroline Bindio-Coroso. I'm based in Nairobi, Kenya. I am in charge of Kenya and Nigeria for Transperfect Media. So there are two Transperfect babies here. Amazing or scary. <laughs> Raj, can you introduce yourself? Please don't tell me you're also from Transperfect. Well, I'm sure Jacques wants me in there. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much, Bobby. I'm Rajeshree Sharma. I'm from Mumbai, India. I'm the creative head and a founding partner at Audio Magic. It's lovely to be chatting with you all. Wonderful to have you here. And finally, Brandon, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, please introduce yourself. Thank you so much. My name is Brandon Katz. I'm an entertainment industry strategist for Paired Analytics. Prior to this, I was an entertainment reporter covering the X's and O's and business behind Hollywood for eight years. And since we are all in different time zones here, let me just say good afternoon, good evening, good night to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> On point. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brandon. Yeah, let's kick off this little show of ours. Uh, we talked a little bit about delving into the past, present and future. So let's start about the past. Caroline and Raj, this question is for you. How has the localization landscape evolved in emerging markets? If you look past uh, in the yeah for the past decade, and in the context of uh, the way you've worked towards the TV and streaming industry, Caroline, do you yeah. like to just yeah. touch upon this first? Yes, thank you. So, um, of course, cinema in Africa has been around for nearly a hundred years, um, but we don't have a very um, strong localization history per se. Uh, we could talk about ADR and, and basics like that, but you know, just like the way European films um, uh, um, tended to be localized, and actually, our first really proper interfacing with with uh, uh, localization in Kenya was the European films because of all the different film festivals. Uh, that were being held in Nairobi, and then enter the the telenovas uh, about 15, 
18, about 15 to 18 years ago, the Mexican telenovas became just huge uh, in Kenya and, and East Africa in general. And of course, they're all dubbed. And that's when we began to realize, ah, okay, so there's this other thing. It became very mainstreamed. And then enter the private uh, TV stations and a few of the TV stations started to dub content coming from outside into local Languages. We have about 42 vernacular languages. And in Kenya, we also speak English, Swahili, and then one other language. And that's when now it's really started to take off. So in the past uh, uh, 10 years, because I got into it about 13 years ago, it has really um, uh, taken over. And I actually was doing a lot of dubbing of Bollywood content um, for a Bollywood channel for Star Times for many, many years uh, in many African languages. And it was extremely popular. It was called the Bollywood channel. Um, but what really kicked it off uh, is, is COVID and, and, and just the whole Netflix just took uh, a localization to a completely different level. And now we began to see African titles being localized for the global audience. So I'd say in the past 10 decades, we've done this major leap from sort of not much going on, very uh, basic, simple localization systems to we're getting very sophisticated now. That's a wonderful and amazing you know journey you know through a decade. That's uh, very very intriguing, Raj. From your chair and from from your optics, how have you seen it evolve? So, Bobby, I've grown within the industry. That's what I I'm really proud about it, and uh, I've seen it grow also along with me. We've tried different kinds of media. And I was exposed to the term dubbing right since I was five. So, you know, it's been a really long journey for India. And yet we're in the radar of the emerging market. When we compare ourselves to the global market, yes, we're still very, very young and a lot to go here, go ahead from here. But of course, yes, as Caroline rightly pointed out, the whole boom began during COVID. With the advent of Netflix and people consuming global content, of course, yes, there was this huge boom and the dubbing industry went from being young to probably being in its uh, intermediary stages. And now we're exposed to the global market, of course. So, I mean, with about 27 plus languages and over 50 dialects in each state, India still has a lot to offer. We should all go to India then. <laughs> it seems like a, a huge opportunity there. Jacques, I mean, when you listen to, you know, obviously coming from a representing a global company and also a, you know, a media with a media, strong media footprint, and you hear about the dubbing and what happened through those last 10 years and, and put that into the perspective of, you know, um, the present stage, the present uh, stage we're in right now, you know, what are the unique challenges that you see or the unique opportunities maybe that are faced by the localization teams in the emerging markets compared to, uh, shall we say, the more established markets? Yeah, well, the, that's a very good question. The, 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 the dubbing started actually in, in Hollywood uh, end of the 30s. So it's not a, it, it's not a new business. Uh, it has been, uh, it has been uh, immediately exported to mainly France and Germany because the American wanted to to sell the movies there. They did the first dubbing in Hollywood and it was so bad that the French and the Germans says, okay, we are going to do it ourselves, which is understandable because they didn't have the 
uh, um, the technique nor the nor the actors to do it. Uh, so obviously, for the emerging market, my view, and it's only my view, is that um, you know these these continents, this country, uh, miss a little bit of history, uh, and uh, and history is bringing you um, an ease with uh, with the technique. Uh, an ease with the process, uh, a concept of uh, what is really localization. You know, I, I do uh, I, when I when I speak in conferences, I always do. You don't dub to a language; you dub to a culture. So uh, the emerging markets need to understand, and they start doing it pretty well now. That uh, the for them the the, the the main point will be to not try to copy uh, what is what is uh, done in America or uh, or in the in the source countries, if you want, like uh, you know in Europe or, or, or in the states, but really localize for them for their culture. And obviously, you know, if you take France and Germany, you have one language in France, one language in Germany. It's not a lot. Uh, so, uh, you know, in India and, and in Africa, like Caroline and Raj said, uh, you have a lot of languages. So I think this is really the opening. Uh, if, if they understand this concept of, you know, um, localizing to a culture, they have a much bigger potential than Europe. Excellent point. Yeah, no. Um, and, and I, and to your point, actually, uh, when we talked about localizing to a culture, if you will, or from a culture to a culture, for that matter, um, I was, you know, within our industry, we always talked about that the globalization uh, per se is, you know, the access key to a broader audience. But but that is something we always say by default. And sometimes I think we tend to lag a little bit of you know analytics or insights to back that up, and I was just curious, Brandon, in that context, um, when you look at the way uh, you know decision makings are being made today in terms of what fares well or less well, are there any success stories that you potentially could you know share or or talk about from a localization perspective um, that has been performed in emerging markets and that have potentially led to to increased viewership uh, or engagement for that matter. Absolutely. I mean, we see so many examples across the last two years as kind of a demand for global non-English content has risen more than 16% in just three years. So, I mean, in specific titles, you could look at All of Us Are Dead, Extraordinary Attorney Wu, you know, Alice in Borderland, Call My Agent. These are all great examples of regional hits. They do very well in their home markets and their surrounding markets, not necessarily penetrating the UCAN market, which has the highest average revenue per user, but are proving to be really helpful in gaining market share for respective streamers and companies in those emerging emerging markets. And you can see, I mean, there, there's a reason why Netflix increased its programming budget in South Korea from 500 million to upwards of 2 billion, because they are looking for growth and upside as UCAN growth pretty much stalls and plateaus. And if we want to just kind of zoom out a little bit and we want to look at the five countries that have seen the largest demand growth for streaming originals over the last three years outside of the U.S., 
You've got Germany, Bulgaria, Japan, Thailand, and the Netherlands. And while not every country and market is created equally in terms of the business opportunity, we can see that growing demand for streaming originals typically implies countries worthy of greater investment. So there, as we talk about, oh my God, there's so much SVOD competition, I can't keep everything straight. There is still a lot of upside and growth to be had out there. It's just about, like Jacques said, programming to a culture and not specifically just one language. Right. Amazing. Very exciting. You know, and Shaq, you know, segueing into the future, if you will, um, what role does technology play in enhancing the localization process? You talked a little bit about process before that the, the process may be one of the challenges or the lack of it or um, in the emerging markets. But if you look at it from a technology perspective, what role does it play in enhancing potentially the localization process and what advancements do you think we can expect in the near future? Well, the, the, the technology is uh, the technology will be key to help these these markets. You know, uh, uh, last time we were talking about uh, China. You know, my first trip to China when I was working for Warner Brother, I think it was for Space Jam. I went there and uh, and and I I still and this was in ninety seven ninety eight. Uh, you still had. Uh, theaters with uh, behind the screen one huge speaker like that 40 and 48 inch and it was mono uh, I, I i i didn't see that before but this was these were big theaters in mono and 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 this country jumped from mono to surround sound uh, they skip, they skipped all the steps uh because you have an advantage of uh, starting late, you catch up very fast with the technology, but you miss you miss the expertise. So you know it's uh, uh, you you cannot win anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> you so uh, the European have a long history, like uh, seventy years, uh, eight years of, of of dubbing behind them, which is which is great. So they know uh, it's really uh, in in the culture of the country. Uh, the dubbing. When I was a kid, I was only uh, watching uh, movies dubbed in France because the, the the original version didn't even exist. So everything was dubbed. Uh, now you have the choice. So, but that's an, another question. So the technology can help to jump and to go much faster. And you know, uh, we uh, at Transperfect we developed the cloud recording, which is very useful especially continents like uh, like Africa or countries like India, where you can record a, a little bit outside of just one or two cities. It's it's a big plus. Uh, the technology also with the Deving Academy, because we help people, we'll give them all the tips necessary. Uh, the technology with uh, with the Ritmo Band, you know, where, uh, the Ritmo Band is a huge plus. And most of the time when people start uh, uh, recording with the Ritmo band, which is the ancestor of the karaoke. Well, they like it and they don't want to go back. So the technology can really help. Uh, and we have to compensate uh, this huge jump with a lot of training, a lot of uh, education to compensate the, the lack of, of history in, in, and the lack of expertise. So this will come. Uh, it has to come together. I think that's that's my view of the future. Well, it's very, very interesting. I 
I was just thinking a little bit about, you know, one thing is the technology, uh, Jacques, but but Brandon, <clears throat> I'm also thinking a little bit about in, 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 in your space, when you, got, when you um, analytics people are advising uh, your stakeholders about, um, you know, what are the different options? And I was just thinking a little bit about, you know, does the impact of, you know, localization play a part in, in, in your advisory services and, are there any notable differences in viewer preferences uh, and consumption patterns that consumption patterns in emerging markets that impact such conversation? Um, that is a great question, Bobby. Something we stress all the time because you know, working with American companies, they tend to think that everybody consumes content in the same way with the same preferences as American audiences, and that couldn't be right. further from the truth, as we all know. Yes, the UCAN market is the most mature in terms of streaming adoption and key Latin American markets are right behind it. But in most overseas regions, linear TV remains the dominant small screen entertainment source. So utilizing the programming that originates on linear TV to boost emerging streamers and then translating the style of programming uh, that people love on linear TV in those regions as streaming originals is key to digital growth. And beyond that, major streamers are finally learning that they need to show a greater respect and a greater understanding of various dialects within a country. I think Raj really pointed it out so well before. India, it's a great example in which major companies started with just Hindi, but have finally begun to understand that there are over 50 languages and dialects, and we need to tailor content to specific regions. And I think, you know, if we zoom out, we look at what languages are rising in audience demand on a global scale. We, we see Japanese, Spanish, Korean, Hindi, Chinese, French, and German among the most in-demand non-English titles over the last two to three years. But again, different regions have different tastes, and we have to study what resonates with them on a micro scale in order to build a foundation to macro success. And that's where the disconnect, I think, in the industry is still suffering a little bit, though understanding is improving. Maybe I'm being generous to the Hollywood executives. I don't know. I'd like to think that it's improving. It's a provocative view, but I think you, uh, you're, with respect to the membership uh, and to our various stakeholders, I think you're you're on the money there. <clears throat> uh, and so so uh, coming from the inside, if you will, uh, Roger, Caroline, and I feel almost stupid asking this question, but nevertheless, you know, uh, I'm just thinking a little bit about you know from you know what Brandon just alluded to, you know, what localization efforts, what challenges maybe do you see in the emerging markets, um, you know that are contributing to the growth uh, and the expansion of the TV and streaming industry uh, globally. So um, you know what it's all about acceptance is what I'll say. Yeah. So from people asking me what do you do, dubbing. What what is that? Right. Do you know? a change where people say, I want to be a dubbing artist. So, you know, they've accepted the profession. They've accepted, okay, this is what you do for a living. This is what you do for a living. Is somewhere, you know, these questions were being asked earlier and now people want to make this a career. So this is a huge change already. People have accepted this. Even government, our own government didn't have a tax code for the kind of service that we offer for a very long time. And then, okay, they recognized, oh, this is what these people do. And they came up with the tax code. I mean, the vendors in India will agree. Also, there's this huge divide between Bollywood, you know, which is like really looked upon, oh, Bollywood, you work in Bollywood. And we are content low. We are just a content localization company. 
So when we talk about technology and accepting dubbing, so people have been dubbing for the longest time. There are these Bollywood actors who've been dubbing for themselves for the longest time. But when it comes, uh, the when we talk about localizing content, the scene changes entirely. Then these huge studios, these stakeholders, they don't want to be a part of it. Sometimes they look down upon, you know, content localizers. They're like, oh, which means do you sing oh this is what you do so you know uh, that is something that we're always day in and day out trying to prove ourselves here within our own country you know this is a very different job and this is retelling a story and this is getting your story to the global audience so this is something uh, that we face almost every day so there's this huge divide when we talk about technology. They are using the best of technology. We have TPNSS studios here. We have 7.1. We have Dolby Atmos. I mean, almost everything that uh, any competent studio in the world would have. Whereas uh, for the dubbing industry, you know, it, it took a long time for people to accept you need to invest. You need to invest in good tools. You need to invest in good microphones. You need to have the best of monitors. So, you know, people would uh, create studios on their own without acousticians, without consulting anyone, just, you know, um, uh, just place foams and, you know, very shabbily created studios and you're doing probably the best of jobs there. But then that, that changed. That changed big time. People realized the importance of good sound because we had uh, people coming in from abroad, teaching people the importance of the seriousness of the job, basically. It's not just that when you're doing a theater release, this is important. It's important for linear broadcast. It's important for an ad recording. It's important for everything. And this started, people started taking this really seriously, started getting educated in the art, in the craft, not just in sound recording, but, but what it takes to be a dubbing artist. How do you face the mic? What kind of mic are you using? Why are you using a boom microphone? Why, uh, uh, you know, uh, not a Newman? I have the best of microphone. I have Newman. But we don't need a Newman. This is a live action recording. You need a boom. You need a label, yeah, you right. know? So these kind of things. So this is what happened with time. I mean, people started learning. They started taking their job seriously. And of course, all the multinationals that came in, they helped. They helped share knowledge. And people here started becoming aware. They took their job seriously. And now I think we're at a stage where we're ready to embrace tools. Just that uh, I'll still say we lack awareness about how to proceed. Sometimes it's it's lack of awareness. Sometimes it's lack of acceptance. Sometimes you don't want to do it for various reasons. There, the since all we've had this problem of plenty since the longest time. So you know you're always there are budgetary constraints. You don't know how much you want to spend and why you want to spend that kind of money there. Is it worth it? Um, the kind of money a a Marvel movie makes and through Hindi dubs, you know, uh, what we get. To localize content is just a trickle down of the whole budget. It's some very small percentage. But the thing is, uh, that's how it's going to be now. So uh, I'll say, yes, we're ready to embrace tools. But of course, uh, awareness is one stage where we are standing at. We're looking at, you know, what do we do? It's, it's a wonderful insight to, uh, to, uh, so to, uh, to, yeah to the efforts required and 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 i'm just thinking caroline i was in uh, i had the pleasure of um going to africa recently uh, is uh, and i went to cape town as part of the mib africa and um i i heard similar stories there of you know as the examples that raj talked about that people were being increasingly aware that 
you know, what got us here will not take us to the next level. We will need to be, uh, we will need to professionalize. We will need to uh, scale our talents. We will need to educate as a whole in order to, to because the bar is lifting. The bar has you know, increased in terms of um, big streamers coming into the market and, and wanting to require similar uh, quality output, if you will, as the likes of Netflix. And so I'm just wondering if that is also, you know, similar patterns that you are going through or whether you experience it differently? It's definitely the same. Um, uh, through our work, we spend, I spend quite a lot of time with my team, for lack of a better word. I think Jacques said evangelizing, um, sitting down, because I come from a producer background and, and I've never for the life of me understood why audio is the last thing on the list when it comes to African filmmaking. Everyone decides it's the one thing they can do themselves. Um, so we spend a lot of time uh, evangelizing, working with producers, working with content creators, really discussing technical specs because people are afraid of what they don't know. And it all sounds very big when you see the, the long list and then you realize actually we have the equipment and, and we can do it. Of course, in Africa, you've got to deal with the fact that infrastructure issues exist. What Jack mentioned is very real. We went from not doing much to suddenly there's this, we had subtitling, we're doing audio descriptions, we're doing uh, ADR, we're doing all these things, which literally, um, uh, thank God for Google and things like that. We're, a lot of times we're having to, to, to go check the basics. So the, the, the movement of technology, the educating and the, the investment in the pipeline isn't going to come just even through the tools that um, I'm very happy that we, even with Transperfect we have, but sitting down with, with schools and even working with governments on policy so that you can make them realize these are careers. These are not... Um, these are not things that people just do by the roadside and then go and get a job. I, I can give my own example. I, I worked as a producer for over 25 years. To the day my mom passed away, bless her cotton socks, she never understood what I do for a living. I just couldn't get her to understand. Um, she could see what I was doing. She could see my products. She could see my content, but she just could not put the thing together. And I remember she came to my office one day and saw all the studios and she said, oh my God, what are all these for? And I thought, this is just when never, she'll never understand. So these are the things that we face in Africa. We've leapfrogged. We're trying to create careers in localization and other aspects of film production. And there is a lot of investment in the people uh, and in policies required so that we're developing careers, not just um, DIY fly-by-night jobs. Excellent. Yeah, go ahead, um, Jacques. And if I want to, to jump on, on what uh, Caroline was saying, um, actually, you don't have a lot of countries in the world where you can make a living out of dubbing. Uh, you know, Europe, obviously, uh, because everything is dubbed. But, uh, you know... Uh, uh, let's take, uh, like, an example, uh, some countries in Scandinavia, you know, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway. You have a lot of dubbing actors that are not professional because there is just not enough content to be dubbed. So when I was at Warner and I was uh, recording a lot of Looney Tunes, 
I had these people coming from the theater. They were doing Shakespeare during the, at night, and they were doing Bugs Bunny and, and Daffy Duck during the day. So you see the you, you see the the challenge there. Uh, but um, more seriously, what this country cannot do because you know Denmark has one language, Sweden has one language, uh, Icelandic has one language, but in Africa. Uh, you have so many uh, different languages or in, in India that finally, if you think about it, you probably could very well make a living out of uh, out of the wing. But that leads me to another question, Jacques. You know, if you look at it from the um, from the streaming platforms in the emerging markets, you know, one thing is that you potentially could make a living, uh, for, you know, as a talent. But you know, what are the key factors that you know, content creators and you know, streaming platforms should consider or are considering maybe to, uh, to you believe when they're localizing their offerings for emerging markets, given the fact that there are so much variation, as you say, or, or so much depth and breadth to it, what thoughts goes into it? Yeah, you know, I, I spent 21 years at Warner in the, in the content creative side and so I, I cannot say too many bad things about the content creator. Please feel, feel, feel free to speak your heart out here. But, but really, you know, I've been in a situation where I had to discuss with my uh, colleagues in, in the production centers and telling them, but do you know what I'm doing for, for a living here in this company? Because I was the head of the being, I was doing everything from Warner Brothers and we did not have any idea. They didn't know. Oh, is, is is there a life outside of America? Say yes. When the movie is finished in the states, now a second life starts, and it's a long life, and it's a lot of things to do. So, and this was a few years ago, but I'm sure it didn't change so much. Uh, so, to re to really answer your question, I think the content creator needs to be a little bit more involved in. Uh, in what's going to happen after uh, after the, the US version, uh, prepare the US version. I mean, in 20 years, I probably spoke twice with production uh, production uh, colleagues uh, at Warner or Cartoon Network, because I was doing Cartoon Network when they were part of uh, Warner. And so I, I was telling them, you know, we need to start being involved from a localization standpoint before you guys finish. Because maybe, you know, if you know uh, that we are going to uh, start dubbing immediately after you finish, you would prepare the, the music and effects track differently. You would separate the dialogue. You would prepare some, uh, some stamps differently. You would think about translations, uh, jokes, etc. So I think if, Netflix or uh, or the new content creator Amazon or, or even the the majors, you know, if they really want to penetrate this uh, this market, uh, India, Africa, they need to be a little bit more involved before the end of, of the manufacturing of the project and start preparing the second life. Very very interesting. Um, I was also I was very very. Um... Uh, close to also asking you, Brandon, the same question. But I will just, I think, Jacques, you you dealt with it really great. And, and, and so, Brandon, maybe a little bit along the line, um, you being this analytics company uh, that, that has great insight and, and provide uh, you know, insightful advisory services, I'm just thinking, are there some 
genres or practices or maybe some specific trends that you can share with us uh, that are uh, distinct, if you will, for, for the emerging markets? I would be happy to, except I'm still gripped by jealousy that Jacques has spent so much of his career directly involved in Looney Tunes and Cartoon Network. Can, can we do <laughs> like a little much? Friday body swap? I want to get in on this. <laughs> Go on, please. <laughs> no, but to answer your question, you know, the whole idea driving the industry right now is that theoretically, the more you can audiences, which again, boasts the highest average revenue per users for most major services, the more they consume non-US content, the more efficiently production budgets and resource allocation becomes. So that's one reason why local non-US content has become so imperative to major entertainment companies. And within that, we've seen a couple trends emerge. So a, a big one is essentially splitting up a central IP into multiple versions. So we have Amazon that is currently developing Italian and Indian spinoffs of Citadel, which was a massive, expensive, uh, you know, action spy thriller from the directors of Avengers Endgame. We have Netflix creating South Korean and German spinoffs for Money Heist. We have Paramount Plus creating a four-region version of the reality competition, competition series, The Challenge, across the U.S., Australia, U.K., and Argentina. So Hollywood right now really wants to develop local programming that has the best chance of traveling across several different markets really well so they get more efficient spend from their programming budgets. And within that, we can identify a few genres that really kind of stand out. So Japanese animation is the most in-demand subgenre worldwide over the last two years. It's followed by drama, children's animation, action and adventure, and unscripted content. So those are really core areas to focus on. And then if we look at genres that are in high demand but low supply across the U.S., Latin America, Asian, and EMEA, we often see genre series, so sci-fi, fantasy, horror, Western. We see thrillers and mysteries. We see broadcast style genres such as legal and procedural dramas pop up. So these are really the white space opportunities that are worthy of further investments. They, these are white space opportunities that kind of impact an underserved audience. So again, as we talk about saturation in this industry, there are still opportunities to grow as long as you're tailoring programming to where there is opportunity, not just doubling down on what everyone already has an abundance of. Well, I love the you know I love the way you um talked about uh you know where to focus where the white space are both in terms of genres and also territories and you know as we are you know reaching uh you know um the end of this podcast it's just been amazing that the topics we've been uh, dealing with so fast already and I'm just trying to link that last part Brandon to maybe you know everybody and and in particular Raj and and Caroline and and Jack you know when we talk about focus and recipe for success, you know, what is the recipe for success for any media localization company? Uh, it could be Blue Digital Group. It could be any one of our members out there if they wanted to establish a, its localization offering in the emerging markets. You know, given the fact that you have so much knowledge, um, you know, what is what is the critical success factor for anyone wanting to sit on the other side and serving both the talent industry but also the big streamers? I would say education first, you know, uh, teaching, uh, teaching these kids. Because when I was to, I I, I was with you like last time in in for MIP uh, MIP Africa in Cape Town, and I was before to Nairobi, 
and I saw the the enthusiasm of these uh, of these young kids. I mean, for me, they are kids because I'm a little bit older, but uh, they were so enthusiastic. They loved that. For them, localization uh, is great, and and it's like a new toy, you know, that they didn't have even ten years ago. So uh, I would say, uh, educating these people, giving them the the you know the, the the tools they need, uh, creative and technical, and and it would be a blast. These countries are going to explode in terms of uh, of uh, uh, content, localization, quality. There's a huge potential there. As Jack pointed out earlier, of course, it's bringing one culture to the global audience. So understanding the local culture, the more we get to understand people here, the more we can present our own culture. I think that's what the emerging market is waiting for. So now Indian content is also being consumed globally. We are, uh, shows are getting recorded into various languages and people are liking it, is what we're being told. So uh, similarly, and vice versa, as we're exposed to a lot of Spanish content, a lot of African shows that we've done recently, uh, Yoruba as a language. So, I mean, it's it's wonderful to have, to learn various cultures. That's what the new trend is here currently. People want to see what a Korean uh, uh, baby shower is like or what, you know, what the Spanish culture is like. So that is what people want to see. They don't want us to localize that bit. They want us just to translate and present that bit. Oh, this is what they do there. So this is what people are liking here. So I think we have great potential here. I agree with my colleagues, everyone. Um, Yes, the education, a lot of investment and patience required. Um, I don't know how other people, but Gen Zs are different and um, um, they approach things very differently. And they are our major workforce, certainly here in Africa. And there's a lot of um, uh, time required because the enthusiasm is there. But it's like, OK, let's take it slowly. You know, as we say in Kenya, pole pole, slowly, slowly. Um, <laughs> What we, we we also, what excites me about what's happening with localization at this stage um, is, is just the opportunities for African content creators. Like, you know, just the, the, just this, we do not have to speak English. We can be authentic. We can share our culture very authentically. Um, this cultural exchange that's come, that, that's bubbling and has been happening, uh, especially to be honest with Netflix, because of all the African titles, when you start to see the threads that make us uh, uh, more, more, more united than different, uh, uh, you know, I never thought I'd watch South Korean content. But I consume it prolifically. Um, <laughs> the story, the love, the death, the hate—it's all the same, just different ways of expressing it. So I love what is happening with localization. And I'm looking forward to even as other tools and AI come in, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we'll continue to grow. And I'm loving that localization is allowing other cultures to be authentic and not have to adopt other languages, but they can just speak the way they speak. And then we localize to English. That is very refreshing to localize to English instead of the other way around. Just to quickly what Caroline just said, this whole conversation, we have talked so much about the strategy and the, the business and financial perspective, but you you just did it perfectly, Caroline. This is about more than that. It's about connecting people. It's about the moral imperative of building bridges and realizing that we have so much more in common than, than what differentiates us. It is about 
cultural preservation, expansion, and understanding. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing that technology and industry is aligning to allow that to happen right now. What a beautiful way to end this podcast. Another one, EGA, telling stories from the clubhouse. Brandon, Raj, Caroline, and not least, Jacques, thank you so much for uh, you know enriching our listeners with uh, a fast track into the past, present, and future of the emerging markets. I'm super grateful to have done this session with you. And uh, yeah, see you until the next one. Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.